morning, Brentford, and welcome to Behind the Lights with me, Seb. And me, Jana. As always, we pay respect to the traditional custodians of the land we're coming from, the Gadigal people of the Aurora Nation. Now on to another busy sporting weekend, Jono. And in the NRL, round 22 again delivered some big and significant results in the lead up to the final series. The Storm defeated the Raiders 26 points to 16. The Panthers down the Dragons 34-16. The Roosters defeated the Broncos 21-20. The Rabbitohs defeated the Titans 36-6. The West Tigers down the Cowboys 24 points to 16. The Seagulls smashed the Eels 56 points to 10. The Warriors beat the Bulldogs 24-10, while the Knights defeated the Sharks 16 points to 14. All this means is the Roosters have now moved into the top four with the Eels sliding down to sixth, and the Knights have moved into seventh spot, obviously still a very tight tussle uh, for those last remaining final spots. In some unfortunate news for Seagull star Tom Travojevic, he may at this stage has been ruled out for two weeks with a, with a hairline fracture in his cheekbone. So hopefully... For Eagles fans, uh, Tom Travoyevich will be back for the finals. So, uh, John, again, some significant results in the NRL um, as we close in on the finals. Yeah, huge win by the Roosters to get get past the Broncos there in terms of uh, the standings and then as well as the Eels just slipping in the last couple of weeks here. So um, we'll see if they can uh, climb back into that top four battle there, but uh, I'm not sure as well as um, the Sea Eagles as well, even with some injury concerns are looking pretty good as well. And they showed their dominance performance against the Eels too. So um, huge implications for that top four there. And that last fourth spot basically is up for grabs at this point in my eyes. Round 22 of the AFL also delivered some significant results in regards to the top eight GWS um, upset Richmond 106 points to 67 Hawthorne defeated Western Bulldogs 64 to 37. Geelong defeated St Kilda 85 to 71. Port Adelaide smashed Carlton 140 to 45. Brisbane had a big win over Collingwood 142 to 57. Sydney defeated North Melbourne 91 to 77. Melbourne defeated Adelaide 104 to 63. Essendon beat Gold Coast 98 to 30. While Fremantle won the derby over in the West, defeating West Coast 79 to 64. So all that means is Melbourne sit top while Brisbane now only sit at one win outside the four. GWS are now up to seventh, while Essendon sit in eighth going into the final regular round next week. So some huge games next week. Some obviously teams praying for the results to go their way. So we'll see who makes the top eight in the AFL end of next weekend. In the football, the Premier League began with its opening weekend. We'll discuss it a little bit later, but going through the results... New boys Brentford defeated Arsenal 2-0. Manchester United had a big win over Leeds United 5-1. Brighton defeated Burnley 2-1. Chelsea had a comfortable win over Crystal Palace 3-0. Everton defeated Southampton 3-1. Leicester defeated Wolverhampton 1-0. Watford defeated Aston Villa 3-2. Liverpool had a good win over Norwich 3-0. West Ham defeated Newcastle 4-2. While Tottenham defeated Manchester City 1-0. So, we'll go, as I said, we'll go into the Premier League in a little bit more detail later on. The Spanish La Liga also kicked off over the weekend. Some results out of there. Real Madrid defeated Alavas 4-1. Barcelona defeated Real Sociedad 4-2. Obviously, at Lionel Messi less Barcelona. While defending champions Atletico Madrid defeated Celta Vigo 2-1. The German Bundesliga also began with defending champions Bayern Munich drawing 1-1 Borussia Mönchengladbach while Borussia Dortmund defeated Eintracht Frankfurt 5-2. Some transfer news. Rafael Varane was finally unveiled officially as a Manchester United player over the weekend, while Romelu Lukaku also officially became a Chelsea player after his move from Inter Milan. 
while his former club, Inter Milan, made a couple of signings with Dutch international Denzel Dumfries. We'll remember him from the Euros, starring there for the Dutch team, and veteran striker Eden Zeko signing on with Inter Milan. Also, some sad news um, over the weekend. Legendary German striker Gerd Muller passed away age 75 after losing his battle against Alzheimer's disease. Muller scored 68 goals in 62 games for West Germany, including the winning goal for West Germany in the 1974 World Cup against Holland. During his 15 years at Bayern Munich, he also scored 365 goals in 427 games, as well as 66 goals in 74 European matches. So, Jono, a huge loss for football uh, with the passing of Gerd Muller. Yeah, a huge loss for the football community, not just for Germany or even Bayern Munich, but this is for the football community as a whole. I mean, if you just look through the record books, he's all over there in terms of scoring and his abilities um, on the field. So definitely a legend of the game. Um, you know, sad to hear of his passing, but he'll always be remembered for, you know, what he was able to accomplish as well. And like I said, some of those records, you know, he's always going to be in the top debates when you think about all-time great scorers there. Rugby and the All Blacks have retained the Bledisloe Cup with a rampant 57-22 victory over the Wallabies at Eden Park. The Bledisloe Cup will now stay in New Zealand for a 19th consecutive year, while it was also New Zealand's highest score against Australia in 118 years of test. So a, a huge win for the New Zealanders. South Africa defeated Argentina in their opening rugby championship game 32-12 at the Nelson Mandela Bay Stadium in South Africa as well. In some sad news in the rugby world, former Wallaby great Taitu Kefu was seriously stabbed in a home intrusion um, over the weekend and is in a hospital fighting for his life. His family were also rushed to hospital. So our wishes um, go to the Kefu family and hopefully he pulls through there. Some really sad news um, out of the rugby world. In the cricket, England versus India in the second test at Lords. India going into the fifth day, lead by 154 runs. They will resume at 6 for 181 in their second inning. So obviously England will look to hopefully knock over India quite quickly and see if they can chase down those runs on the fifth day. So an intriguing uh, day is, day's play in the second test at Lords. In boxing, Muhammad Ali's grandson, Nico Ali Walsh, made his professional boxing debut over the weekend as he defeated Jordan Weeks in a first-round TKO. So uh, possibly a little link to the great Muhammad Ali. It'll be interesting to see and follow Nico Ali Walsh's uh, career progress. Um, hopefully, we'll see him fighting many more fights. The final score, Brentford 2, Arsenal 0. The Premier League means business. As we stated before, the English Premier League opening round kicked off over the weekend. Um, I'll start with an interesting stat here. So Manchester City obviously lost to Tottenham. Only one team in the 25-year history of the Premier League have lost their opening game and gone on to win the title. This team was Manchester United in 2012-13. So we'll see how... If Manchester City can become the second team um, in Premier League history. But, Jono, before we go into a bit more detail, what did you make of the opening weekend? Um, obviously, great to have football back and obviously have fans back in the stadium as well. Yeah, I thought it was just a fun round to kind of open things off. I mean, it started, of course, as you kind of said before, with Brentford winning as well, and, and that just kind of kicked things off for the weekend to come. I think there were some great goals. There were some great team play. There was great 
saves. It had a little bit of everything. It had the passion. Um, so it was great to see everything back. And as you said, back with the fans and just to see that atmosphere again. Um, and hey, I mean, with that stat as well, we'll see if uh, if Manchester City are already in some trouble here um, starting off the season. But yeah, I think overall, it was just great to see everything back in the way that it came back as well in terms of just electrifying performances from top to the bottom as well. Over the weekend, John, what were your three big takeouts from the opening round of the Premier League? Yeah, I guess I kind of, uh, you know, had a little think of this. I, one, one of my biggest takeaways, I think, is um, this goes over, you know, looking at the whole round as a whole. I think that we can surely say that the home ground advantage is back. I think that's my biggest, one of the biggest takeaways is that basically just having the fans there just really gave aid to a lot of teams. I think this was best kind of displayed even in that opening match with Brentford, just the passion and, and, and the celebrations of when the goals went in and even, you know, after match getting that final whistle, I think it just shows, you can just hear the roaring of the crowd. You can hear the chance, everything about it. So it just shows that, you know, home field advantage is now back. Whereas before, you know, you went into Anfield, you went to these places and you could win and any given night, but now it's just that added level of pressure that when you go away, you know, how are you going to react? How are you going to react to those fans? You know, the chance, the, the booing, the ooing, the aahing, everything about it. I can say that it, it seemed like it was officially back. And the best thing about it is you just saw the fans were just enjoying themselves as well. You know, there wasn't too many phones out when they were having celebrations and goals. They were just enjoying the moment and they were there for it. So for me, that was probably one of my biggest yeah. takeaways. Yeah, there were only two away wins over the opening weekend. So as you said, I think it showed again that home advantage would definitely uh, come back into the Premier League this season. Yeah, definitely. And 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 going on that, a team that essentially, so for my second takeaway, a team that's, you know, always kind of quite strong at home. I would say that a, another big takeaway was just Liverpool's front three. Now, I know essentially Firmino didn't necessarily start, but I think what he was able to do in terms of what Liverpool was able to do to get him scoring early is really good because we know the struggles that he had last year. I think Mane was doing great off the ball runs and for Salah to not only have a great goal, but also to have those assists going in after, you know, he always performs in the opening day match, but to have him not only scoring, but also setting up his teammates. And again, someone like Firmino, who's had its bit of struggles, I think that actually shows that there's a lot to come for Liverpool. Now, I'm not fully sold on them, but I think that this performance as well, in terms of just an opening match fixture, I think was a huge bonus for them. Um, and like I said, not just relying on Salah going out and scoring a hat-trick or something like that. It's actually a lot of good team play that went along with this. And as well, they looked, you know, they looked pretty solid as well in the back too. So having that stability throughout the field, I think was a really good thing for Liverpool. And, and it's a bright spot for Liverpool and to see what's to come out for the rest of the season. Salah and Mane especially looked fresh, obviously yep. having a full off season as well, which I think will count um, in Liverpool's favour going into this year. Obviously, the last couple of seasons, they've played a lot of football. And especially last year, they just looked really tired yeah. um, and lacked that energy and spark, which Liverpool, especially at their best, they need to be that to be effective. Um, so I thought um, seeing Salah, looking how fresh he was and the way he was moving, as you said, getting on the score sheet early and obviously assisting those other couple uh, can only be a good thing for Liverpool uh, moving forward. Yeah, exactly. And another big uh, takeaway as well, I think, and I'm sure you'll be happy with this as well, was essentially the result at Manchester United. And I don't think it's just the result, but I think it's 
a lot to do with the play and of Paul Pogba and the way, and you could see the joy on his face that he was actually playing. I mean, every single year, essentially, there's been a rumor with Paul Pogba that is he happy? He doesn't play the best. He doesn't, he doesn't, he's not allowed to unleash his abilities. But I think this is a great sign for what's to come for Manchester United if they can harness his ability as what was shown in this game. I think it was great, of course, for Bruno Fernandes to get on the score sheet the way that he did. But I think the Bigger thing was, yes, we're keeping Bruno in his hot form that he had last season, but to get Paul Pogba firing and creating those chances, some of those balls that he was playing, the vision that he had in this game was exceptional. And I think as well, just offering again, you know, Veron came out in the field before the game to kind of be in the unveiling of his signing. He got more stability going into the back that could free up Pogba as well, even more so to have that ability to roam free, to be able to, to create plays. I think this is the best possible start you want for Manchester United in terms of confidence going into these next couple of games. If they really want to contend for the Premier League, you need to be having Paul, Bog- Paul Pogba play the best that he possibly can. He needs to play the way that he does for France, where he creates chances for everybody. And I think this week demonstrated that United can do that. Now, will they take that into the future? I really hope so, because it was it was beautiful to watch him play. Honestly, it was really, it was a breath of fresh air to see him play that way. And so hopefully he has this confidence now moving into the next couple of games as well. It certainly was one of Pogba's best games in a Manchester United jersey. No doubt about that. And even if he does end up moving next year, I think United, if they're going to be any chance uh, to go for this title this year, they need Pogba at his very best. Um, as yeah. you said, John, just because of his creativity that he offers. And Pogba at his very best is a world-class midfielder. Um, so Manchester United, hopefully, uh, this performance will continue on um, over the next coming weeks and into the future with the Premier League. My three big takeaways. Um, I'm going to start with a couple of teams that looked a little bit in trouble. So we did mention Crystal Palace. I don't mean yep. you, John O pick them to possibly be in some trouble this year. The other team that I think could be in a little bit of bother is Burnley. Uh, Burnley obviously didn't not investing much money into the squad. Sean Dyche has always worked um, with a minimal squad and minimal investment. Um, but this, I'm wondering whether this is going to be a year too far for them. Uh, Brighton, uh, they did it pretty easily against Burnley um, at Turf Moor there. So it'll be interesting to see if Sean Dyche can get his team up up again and obviously battling against the odds. Crystal Palace, on the other hand, looked really disjointed. I know yes. they're up against Chelsea, one of the heavyweights, but uh, they just lacked any real creativity and lacked any real uh, idea of the way they wanted to play and the shape they were playing. They just made it way too easy for Chelsea. So Patrick Vieira has got a lot of work to do with that Crystal Palace squad. They've invested in some young players in the, in the transfer window. Uh, so I'm going to be interested to see how that comes together. But um, some cons- early concern, I'd say, for both those teams. Talking about concern, going back to that Brentford-Arsenal game, Arsenal were absolutely... <laughs> well, they just they could not handle the physicality of the Brentford team. And Arsenal should have expected a Brentford team that was going to be up for it. Yep, first yep. time in 74 years um, in the top division, at home, in a new stadium on a Friday night under lights. Surely Arsenal players and Arteta were ready for a battle, and they weren't. The way they played, they yes, they dominated possession. Looking at statistics, yes, they created some chances, but in terms of the lacking cutting edge, especially from the midfield, um, it was a real concern. Obviously, I know Aubameyang and Lacazette were missing, so obviously they will add um, that goal-scoring threat when they come back in. But the biggest concern for me was Arsenal's inability 
to deal with the physicality of Brentford. Obviously, $50 million Ben White played. Good with his feet, but he's going to have to be more dominating in that centre-back part, in that centre-back position if he's going to um, lead Arsenal um, and give him, obviously, that defensive stability. But a lot of work to do for Mikel Arteta. He's got no European excuse this uh, this season. Yep. Um, and we really need to see some improvement from the Arsenal team. Doesn't come any easier, though. They've got Manchester City and Chelsea in the next two weeks. So they potentially are looking at a zero and three start before the international break, Jono. And uh, Arsenal fans, um, the pressure could be really on Arteta early on. Yeah, I mean, you'd have to be concerned for Arsenal after that performance. And as well as you said, like you look at their squad and they do have quality players on their squad. So there's no excuse in terms of talent. It's being able to put first off the players in the correct positions and making sure that when they go into the games that they have the want as well. As you said, you know, they went into Brentford and Brentford wanted it. You know, Brentford had that want to go out, grind out for every single ball. And you look at Arsenal, it was almost like at some times, they didn't go into the challenges hard enough. They didn't go in, you know, it's, a, it's that extra little bit when you're making a pass. It's that extra little bit when you're making those runs. And what's going in in Arsenal is it just seems like, you know, that every single game they go in and they just take a step back. They just take a step back and they allow these other teams to just dominate them on different levels each week. It's not even the same problem every single week as well. It seems to be that these problems change every single week in and week out. There's something really missing there right now at Arsenal. And look, Arteta is, is definitely going to be under pressure. And, and is he the man really to lead them out of this? I don't know. Only time will tell. And as you said, it's not going to get easier these next couple of games for them. Now it's just going to get even harder. Now to start your season, uh, 0-3 is, is going to be a challenge in terms of gaining that confidence because that's what you need. After a season of ups and downs as you had last year, you need that confidence early in the year to go into the rest of the games. And now it's just going to be a struggle. But I think for me... You know, they have quality of players there. You, you know, you, you have a baseline of quality there that can challenge. It's just making sure they have the want to go out and compete and to just give that extra edge. You know, they brought in this money spent on them for a specific reason. And for some reason, when they come to Arsenal, it's like they lose that, that cutting edge that they had at all these other clubs. So I, I don't know what the answer necessarily is for Arsenal. It just seems like I said the struggle is different every single week. And they just... I just want to see them bring, I want to see them succeed, but it's hard because it just, they don't give enough in my eyes to be able to succeed. So it'll be interesting to keep an eye, as you said, as well, in particular, these next couple of games, as they have some, some big challenges ahead of them. Yeah. I think that second goal where they considered directly from a phone was an epitome of, yeah. uh, of Arsenal's performance on the night. Those sort of goals, you just cannot concede at that level. I guess a couple of bright sparks for Arsenal was the performance of Kieran Turney, the left-back, the Scottish left-back. I thought he really tried and at least gave them some attacking impetus, um, impetus um, in the final third, as well as ML Smith-Rowe, the young English midfield, played that number 10. I thought he also really tried for Arsenal at least try to make those forward runs and try and make something happen. But uh, Mikel Arteta has plenty to work on. The other big takeaway from the weekend was just seeing some of the big boys or potential title um, title teams or title challenging teams playing. Obviously, Manchester United were very impressive against yep. Leeds. The only thing I would say, though, is Leeds are probably the perfect team for Manchester United in terms of the space that was led to them and offered to them. Um, if you give space to the likes of Pogba, Fernandez, um, yeah. you are going to be punished. Well, obviously, last year, United defeated Leeds 6-2. So uh, United will have tougher tests ahead. I was actually really impressed by Chelsea, as poor as Crystal Palace was. Looking at the squad they were playing with, Chalabar, the young English boy to come in and yeah. score on 
debut was a great moment or his first uh, Premier League goal for Chelsea was a great moment for Chelsea. But when you think of the quality that's still to come into that squad, you add Lukaku um, and even some of their other players to get up to uh, their fitness levels. Um, Chelsea are looking the real deal. Um, And obviously Lukaku will, I think, add um, guaranteed goals for that Chelsea team, which is where they struggled last year. Manchester City, they were disappointing against Tottenham. I thought Tottenham, um, obviously, Harry Kane, rumours are swirling around. So I think the sooner that gets worked out, the better for both clubs. Uh, Tottenham were impressive. I thought they really pressed uh, City and obviously gave them trouble on the break. Obviously, Son scored a great goal. Uh, Manchester City were disappointing. It was actually the most expensive squad in Premier League (laughs) history, including the bench. It was worth $1.034 billion. Amazing win. I know, amazingly. So I think I wouldn't be too concerned. I think uh, I think Kyle Walker coming back in that squad at right back will strengthen them. I think uh, I think Benjamin Mendy will not play consistently at left back, um, and obviously integrating Kevin De Bruyne. And if they do get that Harry Kane deal over the line, obviously that'll add uh, some great quality to that squad. So I wouldn't be too concerned about City at this stage. Um, obviously, we know last year they had a very slow start as well, and, yeah. and they ended up romping away with the Premier League. So I think Guardiola will get it right, but uh, they certainly looked flat um, in that first game against Tottenham. The other great sight to see over the weekend, John, I thought was the continued taking of the knee. Yeah. Uh, the Premier League actually released a, a short video over their social streams um, before the Premier League kicked off just to, I guess, enforce the reason as to why they're taking the knee. It was narrated by... Um, ex-Manchester United England uh, defender Rio Ferdinand, who himself has dealt with racism through his brother Anton Ferdinand. I'm not sure if you remember back in uh, with the John Terry incident when uh, Anton was playing at Q, uh, West Ham. Um, and also really great to see Bakaya Saka, who came on for Arsenal in the Brentford game. All the Brentford uh, crowd got up and gave him a round of applause when he came in. So I thought, John, that was really encouraging. Obviously, following on from those distasteful uh, scenes at Euro 2020 and the backlash, especially against uh, those English players. Um, what did you make of, of obviously players continuing to take the knee and obviously that uh, really touching round of applause for Bukayo Saku uh, at Brentford? Yeah, I think basically what we, what we saw there at Brentford is what we need to see more of essentially. You know, we need to see more of, applauding more of standing up for what's right and less of less of this racism that goes on and these are the type of stories that we need to celebrate because we need to celebrate the fact that you know people are there are individuals as well taking a step in the right direction things are moving ahead you know yes there are issues of racism but if we can come together as well and and as a unit as well bring that out of our game and that's maybe what we're seeing as well especially with Brentford you know, being a new club into the Premier League as well and stuff like that, I think that was great for them to be able to do that, that they don't necessarily have the history of what's gone on necessarily in the Premier League. Yes, there's 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 racism, I'm, I'm sure, in every single league, so they have been subject to it. But to be able to come in, they've never necessarily played against Arsenal or anything like that, but to, to understand that what they're doing is they're standing for what's right, and that's what they decided to do. So I think it was a, it was honestly a breath of fresh air to see that. And I think that was great. And hats off to the Brentford fans. And that's what we need to see more of. Not not any more of, of this racism that happens on the field and afterwards and everything. That just needs to be completely cut out of our game. We need to see more of this kind of stuff where we're celebrating individuals and we're standing up for what's right. Yeah, I think what, what it emphasized was, obviously, um, your tribalism 
is important when it comes to your club, and that what's and that's what makes the Premier League such a great competition. But there are bigger things than football and the Premier League. And when it comes to racism, um, I think, as you said, I think the collective is stronger, and that's what people need to do: come together uh, to help eradicate it, not just from football, but from society. It's a societal issue, as we've um, yep. as we've talked about before. So I think that was a really uplifting moment in the Premier League and, and hopefully it will continue all the way through and, and we don't hear those booing of players yeah. when they do take the knee because I think that needs to be cut out. I think they need to be applauded and I think the message needs to be constantly put forward until we've eradicated it. It's not something that's going to go away. Yep. Um, and talking about racism, we had another ugly incident in Australian sport um, last week. Unfortunately, the AFL again. So the AFL does some really good work around racism but Again, an ugly incident um, occurred. So this time was Adelaide Crows player Taylor Walker. Uh, he made a racist comment towards Indigenous North Adelaide player Robbie Young in the SANFL, so the South Australian AFL League. Um, he was then criticised because then he sort of, he came onto social media and uh, it was almost a staged apology where he appeared alongside Robbie Young um, to obviously issue his apology and, and obviously um, admit his mistake. Walker uh, was suspended for six games and given a $20,000 fine. Um, but I think what the incident again highlights is the lack of support afforded, especially to the game's Indigenous playing community. Um, as much as they're celebrated, I think there is a real lack of support, which was obviously highlighted in the Adam Goods incident, incident um, which we all sort of know well of. Um, only 1% of the AFL's staff is actually Indigenous, which again... Mm-hmm. Um, is a damning fact in regards to, to trying to grow and, and connect um, with the Indigenous community and obviously hopefully cut, you know, as, as we've seen in the Premier League, try and eradicate this racist uh, behaviour. Former Collingwood president Eddie Maguire um, also came under criticism after his comments following the Walker apology on uh, AFL footy show Footy Classified. Um, this was his quote. If you apologise, it's all spin. If you don't apologise, then you're recalcitrant. If you apologise too much, then you're adding mayonnaise to it. There is no answer to this. Um, wherein former Pies star Andrew Krakow then responded on social media saying, the answer, don't be racist. Don't be racist. If our blackness bothers you, you're a racist. Mm. Jono, another ugly incident for the AFL to deal with. And Eddie Maguire's comments, I think, just reinforced the issues uh, that the AFL but also Australian society still face and, and still need to change. Yeah, and, and and the need to change is essentially for, for now, it really needs to come to a time where it's those actions speak louder than words. It's it's how do you now step up as an individual, especially let's say we'll use, you know, as we said, the AFL is, is the example here, but now it's not just issuing apology or, you know, publicly issuing apology or anything like that. It's now how do you step up to make sure that it doesn't occur at all? Or how do you make sure that things get stopped before they even essentially, you know, are about to happen? You know, you step into that locker room or that field. So how do, how do you manage that? You know, how do you, what do you bring to it that you make sure that this isn't going to happen? How, how you can just eradicate it from the game, from the inside out kind of approach as well. Because that needs to happen. When you have racism between the players, that's, that's, that's honestly just unacceptable. Or racism between prominent figures within the AFL and things like that. That's just completely unacceptable in my eyes. So now... How, how do you react to that? You know, issuing a public apology, 
okay, no. How do you step up to make sure that's not happening in the locker room? Or if you hear of it happening, you make sure you stop it then and there and it's not going to happen again. You need to now take ownership as well. It's not okay to just be next to someone as they're saying a racial remark or something like that, you know, having a laugh about it, whatever it is, even if it's in a casual conversation, though, it's just not acceptable at all. You need to make sure it's eradicated and you need to make sure that you're leading by an example as well for, for that future star. Cause if you step up in those locker rooms and on those fields to make sure that's no longer there, those younger, those younger stars will be able to look at that, recognize as well and remove it from the game entirely. But it's just, it's terrible to see it when it, when it happens between players, when it happens between prominent members within the AFL and things along those lines, it's just, it's, it's unacceptable in my eyes to be able to be, to continue to happen in this day and age. It is, it's, it should never has have happened. And now for it to continue to happen, it's completely unacceptable and needs to change. And like I said, it needs to be now personal ownership needs to be taken to, to make sure that things do change within those locker rooms, within those conversations, no matter if it's on a, a footy show, no matter it's as you're stepping on the field, no matter it's when you're home with your mates, it needs to stop. And that's point blank because it just needs to stop. And everybody needs to be pers- held personally accountable for making sure that it does stop at this point in time. The other part of this that I think needs to be looked at and highlighted is I just think the consequences for making a racist remark need to be stronger. I think six games and $20,000 fine aren't hard enough for what, how the other person is made to feel after they've been racially vilified. It doesn't just, yes, an apology is, is one part, but it doesn't just eradicate it and, and it's all okay then after that. Um, as Eddie Maguire was sort of hinting at it in, in terms of his um, backwards comment that he made. Um, I think I think the consequences need to be stronger. You need to start banning players for longer periods of time. If they're going to make a racist remark on the 40 field or off the 40, off the 40 field, regardless of where it's made, um, they're in the public eye. They're, they are role models, whether they like it or not. And they reflect, unfortunately, sometimes they reflect, some of the best parts of society, but they can also represent some of the really ugly and dark sides of society. And this is one of the darkest parts. Um, and I think AFL, um, the AFL board, um, as well as the the different national boards, I think they need to come together and I think they need to rethink what do we do when players do make these remarks? How do we eradicate this? And I think giving out soft fines and soft bans like that I don't think you're going to do it. Um, I think you need to ban players for longer and give them fines that that matter. Twenty thousand dollars is nothing for a player like Taylor Walker. I'm sorry, yeah. it's not. It's, he'll pay the fine. He's done his apology, and everyone will move on. It'll be almost forgotten. Um, and these things can't be forgotten. I think we saw obviously the impact that the Adam Goods incident had, and, and obviously the backlash that he received, and the, and the lack of support he received in the AFL community um, through that. And I think. This is another moment where the AFL community needs to come together um, and give obviously support to, you know, the young Indigenous man that got vilified, but also how do they start changing attitudes? Because these attitudes obviously exist within the game, um, which is reflective of, of these attitudes existing within uh, the broader Australian society. So I think it's also um, this needs to be thought about and this needs to be, highlighted and something needs to happen it can't just be again pushed under and forgotten i think something needs to come out of this so hopefully we'll see what happens uh, moving forward um obviously we're on the 
We've got finals around the corner, um, so not an ideal time for the AFL to be dealing with something like this, but it needs to be dealt with. It's more important than finals. It's more important than premierships. It's more important than the game itself. Definitely. So um, we'll see We'll see what happens. But as I said, an, uh, another ugly incident, and, and hopefully the AFL and the Adelaide Crows deal with it um, in the right manner. But, um, but we'll see what happens. But uh, ending on a slightly lighter note, Jono, um, you're going to ask me five questions this week. Yes, I am. I got them ready. As we always do. Ready to go? Yeah, you ready? Let's go. All right, we got our first question. It's in terms of AFL, is Melbourne actually going to go, going to be finishing atop of the AFL ladder? So going into the last round, could be them, could be Geelong, could be someone else. Is Melbourne going to be finishing atop the ladder? Yeah, I think Melbourne will do enough to finish top. I think the top four... As it is, I think it's going to play pretty much. Obviously, Brisbane have a have a shot to get in there, but I think Brisbane will just miss out and finish fifth. So I think the top four will stay as is. Yeah, it's going to be interesting last round there. Switching over to the NRL, who is going to be more likely to finish at that fourth position? The Roosters or your Manly? Well, I think the Tom Trevojevic injury is going to be massive. Manly's mm. run-in isn't too bad. We've got the Raiders next week. I know the Roosters still have to play the Rabbitohs. Um, I'm still going to say, I think Manly, even <laughs> if Tom misses, I think we might still have enough to get into that fourth spot. The Roosters have done amazing to even get where they're at considering yeah. their injury list. Um, but I think the Rabbits might be a bit too good for them when they play each other. So I think we may sneak in to fourth spot. Yeah, uh, we'll have to go back to your um, preseason predictions as well to see where you actually had them landing as well. Because not gonna lie, I might have wrote you off there when you when you said they were even in the top eight. So uh, don't worry, a few people Manly. write me off, Jono, after that. <laughs> uh, switching over to the NFL, which is the American Gridiron Football. So the preseason has kicked off. So the preseason typically consists of maybe a few starters playing a couple snaps, so a couple minutes, maybe even the first quarter, then basically sitting the rest of the game. Having said that. Do you think the NFL should do away with the preseason and just go straight to regular season or should they continue with the preseason games? I mean, like any preseason, I can understand the importance of it for the coaches and I guess players um, that may not get as much game time in the regular season mm. uh, for a chance for them to show, um, obviously, the coach what they might have, especially when it comes to that quarterback position where, you might, where you're going to have you know, two or three quarterbacks um, fighting for that number one position. Um, I mean, I'd probably still keep it. I can understand why teams wouldn't want to keep it. Obviously, injuries and, and whatnot. So you're going you're gonna to probably put most of your starters in cotton wool. But I, I'd still yep. keep it. I think it's a good chance for for some uh, other players to, to you know, stake their claim for possible yep. starting positions when it does come to the... Uh, to the season. Yeah, it is good for a couple of the youngsters as well, trying to get their spot on the team. And I mean, the NFL season in general, the amount of games, things like that is all under question. So we'll see what happens into the future. Um, switching over to the football, Messi, Ramos, and Neymar all sat in the stands and PSG's most recent win. If PSG do not actually win the league, who will be the first one out? Well, I'll keep Messi. Um, <laughs> Probably, oh, I don't know, probably Ramos. I don't know, Neymar, but I don't know who's going to buy Neymar at his exorbitant wages and, and transfer. There's only a couple of clubs that could afford him. I can't see him 
coming to the Premier League anytime soon. Mm. So out of those three, I'd probably say Ramos because he will be 36 yeah. um, after this season. Um, so maybe Ramos if, if he has a really bad year, but uh, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, it will, be a, it will be definitely interesting to see how their season plays out. Last question there is, as we saw with Man City, they definitely need a striker. Having said that, how much do you think if Harry Kane goes to Man City, how much is he going to go for? What's your prediction for how much? If Grealish is getting 100 mil and they need a striker, how much are we saying? I think Kane will go for pretty close to the 160 that's been touted around. I don't think Daniel Daniel Levy will play hardball. Yeah. Um, and Manchester City have made it pretty clear they want him. So I'll say between 150 and 160 is what Kane will go for. You've got to remember he's still got four years on his or four or five years on his deal. He did sign a massive yeah. new contract um, only recently. So um, I think Daniel Lever will play hardball and he'll expect Man City to cough up the money. So um, I still uh, think he'll go. I still think it'll happen. The the money that City pumps in is just is just crazy, Tom. It'll be massive. But, but I yeah, guess it'll they're be desperate interesting for the Champions see. League and they see this they see this as the missing piece and and obviously they want to place replace uh, Sergio Aguero um, and his goals. So yeah. they probably see Harry Kane as that perfect uh, missing piece for him. But it'll be interesting to see uh, what happens before the transfer window closes. Well, that brings to the end another episode of Behind the Lights with me, Seb. And me, Jana. As always, thank you for your support and good night. <laughs>